0: The title of this morning's message, as you can see there from your bulletin, or the back page of your bulletin, is The Makeup of the Flock. The Makeup of the Flock. John is being very consistent. That is, John the Apostle is being very consistent with his purpose. And I do not want to lose sight of that. I told you when we began the book, you will have that drilled into you. Because the Lord's drilling it into me as well. And in being consistent with the purpose, what is that? To bring his readers, those who would read the gospel according to John, to the place that they would believe that Jesus is the Christ. That is, that, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, they might have life through his name. That has been the purpose and objective from John 1, 1 and will be throughout the book. And in line with that purpose, he brought us into chapter 9 and recently showed us a miracle. He presented a miracle of healing, the healing of a man born blind, the likes of which, that is, the likes of which that miracle was never seen before. It was, even as the words of the people themselves, no, not in Israel, but nowhere had they seen the concept where somebody was born blind and then healed so he could perfectly see. And the Lord Jesus Christ did that to the man. And as a result, again, that miracle was to point them to who Jesus Christ is as the Messiah. And yet, in chapter 10, we saw, or at the end of chapter 9 into chapter 10, we saw the response of the Jewish leaders, those who were, if you will, under shepherds, supposedly, those who were knowledgeable of the Word of God, those who were the ones who were looking for the Messiah to come, those who were supposedly the people of God, those who were really interested in understanding who God was, their response was to reject both the man born blind and cast him out of the synagogue because it was too difficult for them, really. And secondly, they rejected Jesus Christ. They didn't want anything to do with him. They were not responding in the way that John had intended so that they would respond to see that he was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God, and they were not coming to believe in his name. And that's where they were, so they cast him out. That is what led us into chapter 10 that we are studying. And in chapter 10, we saw that some of those same people, it's brought out again in verse 21 when it refers back to the man born blind some of those same people were there in chapter 10 as this exposition is given to us, or this parable is given to us. And in this chapter, let us not lose focus. Again, because we can we get so bogged down all the time. We all do. I do the same thing. In any passage of Scripture, especially those that we familiar are very familiar with, and we quote often, we lose sight of the fact that John chapter 10 is a continuation to demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God, that they would believe on him. So he's continuing on from the miracle right into chapter 10, and that's part of the historical setting of it, to demonstrate that he qualifies as the Messiah. And the way he presents it in chapter 10, he qualifies because he's the good shepherd. That's what he's saying. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd to them, and he's demonstrating that to show them that he is the Messiah. That he truly is. Now, we've already said to you, I will not reiterate a lot of that, but shepherding was very common in Israel. They were very familiar with it, and many of them themselves were involved in shepherding. But they knew enough of the Old Testament to realize that God was the one true shepherd of Israel. That God was the one that was to shepherd his people. And the Messiah was to meet qualifications as the shepherd of God to shepherd the flock of God. So in verses 1 through 21, which we are wrapping up this morning, to put that in its all all in its context, in these verses, the Lord is using a parable. He's using a figure of speech, as John presents it in verse 6. You can look at it. But he's using a parable of the good shepherd to teach that Jesus is the Messiah, to teach that Jesus is qualified, that Jesus is the person that is the Son of God, so that the Jewish leaders would be responsible the people would be responsible for the information given to them, and the sheep would be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. As I said when I began the passage, it really is a unit, even though I've taken several messages to get us to the end of it, only because I felt it had to be broken down that way because of the time constraints in a morning service. But it is a unit here, and we need to remember it that way. And we also need to remember that the primary purpose, and don't take my word for it, Look at it yourselves without biasness. The primary purpose of this passage, as I said, is to point out that Jesus meets the qualifications of the Messiah. And he does it by comparing one primary contrast. And that is the shepherd to the hirelings. The shepherd to the thieves and the robbers. That's the comparison. It is not the sheep and the goats. It is not the sheep and the sheep, really. That is all secondary to this passage, though it's often made primary. The primary purpose of the passage is to point out that he's the Messiah, and it's a contrast between the true shepherd and the hirelings that have come before him or the thieves who come in and try to break through and steal. Now we have seen already through verse 15 that the Lord has demonstrated his Messiahship in three ways so far, and verses 1 through 6 was the first one. And that is the entrance through the door. And I won't repeat it all, but in verses 1 through 6, it was the entrance to the door. That's how he demonstrated that Jesus qualified to be the Messiah. That is, the true shepherd comes to the door, calls the sheep, and they follow him. Only the shepherd can do that. He can come to the door, and the doorkeeper, if you will, opens it up only to a shepherd. And then he calls his sheep, and they follow him. That whole purpose of verses 1 through 6 was to point out the qualifications of Jesus are the credentials that he is the shepherd that has the right credentials to enter in and call forth the sheep. And he does that, by the way, by using the word of God. So he met that part of the qualification. They didn't get it, according to verse 6. So the second way he demonstrated it in verses 7 to 10 is to point out that Jesus Christ is also the door. He is the door. And we explained how there was only one entranceway in to a sheepfold, only one door. So where the Jewish leaders and the people didn't get it as far as him being the shepherd with those qualifications, he now uses the demonstration, still dealing with the good shepherd, of the door. And says there's only one way in and in and out, and Jesus Christ is that door. He is the only access to the flock of God. That is still true today. He is the one and only hope that mankind has to get into the sheepfold. He is the only one sent of God. He is the only way, truth, and life. And he is the only one according to God's plan. And that's what he demonstrates in verses 7 to 10. He is the only one that is qualified because he is the door. He is the way through which people can be saved. And it's according to God that He is the only Savior. God said that in the Old Testament. He's the only one that can bring people into the flock. Jesus Christ met the qualifications. And then last week we wrapped up verses 11 through 15. What was that portion of it? That is to point out in that third section of this demonstration here, our parable, that He is the actual Good Shepherd. Not only is he the does He enter at the door, not only does He qualify as the door, But he also qualifies as the good shepherd. And we pointed out last week, he is the one and only good shepherd. That's what it means in verse 11 when it says, I am the good shepherd. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. There is no other shepherd, good shepherd. There is only one. How did he demonstrate that? He demonstrated it by his voluntarily laying his life down. He demonstrated it by his caring for the sheep. He demonstrated it by his knowledge for the sheep. And so John has very systematically, very carefully, through the concept of shepherding, demonstrated that Jesus Christ is the only one that is qualified as the good shepherd of Israel. He cares for the sheep. He entered in the right way. He is the door. And he is the one and only good shepherd. It's interesting because you and I, for one second here, are living in a world today that is a world of inclusivism. It wants to include all the religions of the world. It wants to accept everything and everything that comes along. You notice Jesus makes very clear through John, and God makes very clear through John, that God is an exclusivist. And that is, sorry, there aren't ten different ways to get to heaven. There are not ten different ways to get your sins forgiven. There are not ten different ways to get a relationship with God. There is only one way. And it's not Fellowship Bible Church's way. It is not Pastor Dan's way. It is God's way. And God's way is through Jesus Christ, whether the world wants it or it doesn't. They can draw the same conclusions that Jesus Christ is insane if they want. But it does not change the fact that God's way is exclusive. And it is only through Jesus Christ. Very clear. And that's what he's pointing out. So no matter what the world thinks of, and no matter how much it's trying to get together and make us accept everything, there is only one way, there is only one good shepherd, there is only one door, and there is only one shepherd that's qualified to go in and call him out. And that's Jesus Christ, and that's what he's really demonstrating. Now we come to the last section of this. Well, what's the last section dealing with, verses 16 through 21? It's dealing with the fourth aspect, as I broke it down, all dealing with the good shepherd and the qualifications of him as Messiah. But this this section concentrates not on the shepherd so much as it does on the flock, as it does on the makeup of the sheep. And that's what he's dealing with in this last section. Not only was it difficult, and you need to get this, Not only was it difficult for them to swallow, if you're wondering why did they call him insane, I'm going to tell you that really right now, though I'll repeat it at the end. Not only was it difficult for them to accept the fact that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the leaders didn't want to do that. And the people were having difficulty with that. That's tough enough that he's the shepherd, that he's the door, that he's the only good shepherd. That's tough enough. But now this is absolutely outrageous for them to think about. What is that? As he's talking to the Jews to tell them that you are not the only ones in the flock. Not only is he the exclusive way, and by the way, not all Jews are saved. That isn't what I'm saying. But to confront the Jews face on and say, guess what? The flock is made up of more sheep than you. That was an absolute outrageous thing. That is why they said, this guy's crazy. He's now talking about other sheep coming into this flock. What does he think he's doing? That's really the context of what you're dealing with. So in our text today, he deals with the makeup of the flock. Let's pick it up in verse 16. It includes other sheep. The flock of Jesus Christ includes other sheep. What do you mean by that? Well, let's see what he says. Verse 16. Notice this. First two words, I have. You say, we're never going to get through it if you stay on those two words. It's absolutely impossible not to look at it. I want you to see this. He doesn't say, I will have. Very important. He doesn't say, someday, these people. He says right away in verse 16 when he begins to talk about these other sheep, he says, I have them. In other words, they belong to me now. They may not know they're in the flock, but they're in the flock. They are Christ. And I say that because it ties in everything else you find in Scripture. From the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ was slain. From the foundation of the world, He knew those that were His. He knew you before your great, 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 great grandparents were born. He knew you. He knew you. He knew 2000 would come. He knew 2010 would come. He knew you before your parents knew one another from the foundation of the world. So he says that right away. He says, I have these sheep. He's going to show us that they haven't come yet because he's got to call them. But they belong to him. You see, it's not a surprise to God when somebody comes to faith in Christ. It was already planned since the foundation of the world. So we see that he says, I have, not I will. This speaks of ownership. We belong to the Lord. It's kind of like, would you just turn with me to one passage on this? Acts chapter 18. I want you to see this. Acts chapter 18. This came back to my mind, again, because of the recent trip that I had. Remember, I've been sharing with you how it just really opens up the scriptures. This just jumped right back into my mind. Because I had the opportunity to be in Corinth. In Acts chapter 18, look at verses 9 through 11. Here it says, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Why? I'll tell you why, Paul. For I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you. Now watch what he says. For I have many people in this city. I have them. And he settled there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Why? Because God uses, we'll see that again this morning, the word of God to bring his sheep. That's why. But God already had them. Paul didn't know that. Paul didn't know who they were. Paul didn't know what was going on. He knew he had to be in Corinth. And God says, I have many people. I have them. You just go do the work that I've called you to do. Let me get them in there. Because they're already part of my flock. He knew that right away. So back in John chapter 10, that's just an example to compare with. He says, I have. I have what? Other sheep. Back in verse 16. He says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. His audience was Jews. When he talks about the fold, you can look back to verse 1. How again, there there was one, in many cases, just this one fold and a number of different sheep came in there and so forth. I think it's best to understand that in talking to Israel, he was first of all dealing with them. Why? Because God's work since the fall has been to call out a people for his own. And it wasn't a secondary plan. I'll mention that again. But Man had a relationship with God. It was blown by sin. And we are all sinners and have come short of the glory of God. Whether you've ever met me or I've ever met you makes no difference this morning. I guarantee you're a sinner. Why? Because I don't like you. No, not at all. Because I'm being mean. Not at all. Because God says we're all sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. And since the fall of Adam, men did begin to have their eyes opened up to what sin is. And guess what? Man pursues sin. And you find out in Genesis that man did everything that he wanted to do, anything that he could even imagine he got involved in with sin. And God had a plan though, and that is not only to save man, but to call out a people for his own. It started in Genesis chapter twelve, really, where he calls out Abraham. But in Deuteronomy chapter seven and in Exodus thirty three, just to give you some references, he specifically says to Israel that you are my people, that I called out by my name to be a witness and testimony me they were to be different and so it's Israel that understood that the shepherd would have them as part of his flock so when he's saying in verse 16 I have other sheep which are not of this fold I think it's probably best to understand that as referring to Gentiles not other Jews that would come in but probably best to Gentiles why first of all if you go to Acts chapter 1 You find out, and if you don't, I'll read it to you anyway. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Many of you can quote it. The Lord says this, But you shall receive power, and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and then even unto the uttermost or remotest part of the earth. God's message from the beginning was to reach the Gentiles. I would like you to turn with me to Romans chapter 11.
1: Romans 11. Let's
0: turn there. Romans chapter eleven. We also read Ephesians for our responsive reading, but in Romans chapter eleven, uh, let me begin in verse thirteen. But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch as this is Paul, I am the apostle of Gentiles. I magnify my my ministry, if somehow. I might move to jealousy, watch this, my fellow countrymen, and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, that is, the Jews rejecting the Messiah, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. But, verse 17, if some of the branches were broken off, some of Israel... And you, that is Gentiles, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree. Then he goes on and says, do not be arrogant against them. He's talking about them. Jump all the way down to verse 24. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted in contrary to nature, into the cultivated olive tree. That's talking about Gentiles coming to believe and being united with Israel. How much more will all those who are natural branches be grafted in? And he ends with this, verse 25. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel. Why? Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And what we're seeing here in John chapter 10 is a situation where the other sheep is the Gentiles being brought in to the flock. Not that God didn't know it from the foundation of the world. Not that they weren't owned by him. They were. That's why I emphasize the word I have. But God's dealing with the calling process. And for your own reference, by the way, there is another gospel. There's actually two of them, but one particularly that deals with this concept of the shepherd and the sheep. And it's Luke chapter 15. You can look at it on your own in verses 1 to 7. That's where he talks about would not you, if you lost one sheep, even though you had 99, leave the 99 and go after the one. And he says in that situation that the Lord Jesus Christ goes after his sheep, puts them on his shoulder basically, and all heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. And it's a picture of the shepherd again, the Lord Jesus Christ. As the qualified one that goes out and gets the sheep. Why? Because he knows who they are. And he's the one that knows how to call them. So, what we're dealing with in John chapter 10 in verse 16 is the Lord Jesus Christ talking about other sheep, meaning Gentiles. This was outrageous to the Jews. And you notice he says in verse 16, I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock, and one shepherd. Several things. There's a bunch to emphasize to you there. But you notice God's still got to call them. He knows who they are. They belong to him. But he's still got to call them. And when he does, they'll respond. Now, how does he do that? And by the way, God is still calling his sheep today. There are sheep all over the world. How does he call them? Well, let me show you. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is what the world, and if you don't think it's true, you're not paying attention to the news in the area of religious circles. This is not generally thought of highly anymore. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 20. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Watch this. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom Since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. Watch this. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs. The Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, to the Gentiles, what? Foolishness. And that's what you see in the world. But verse 24, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, and that's what you're dealing with in in John. Whether it be a Jew or a Greek that's part of the sheep, God calls them. How does he do it? By the power of God and the wisdom of God. Why? Verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God has chosen the foolishness of what is going on right now and that is the preaching of his word. And what I meant by religious circles, there is more and more, listen, in evangelical circles, a push to stop the preaching and to give more entertainment and more time to music and plays than to the word of God. Why? Because the people in the pews, that's what they want. That isn't what they need. It is not what the world needs is entertainment. There, We are saturated with entertainment. In fact, in the end times, men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. But God is still using the Word of God. Why? Because in Romans, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. Well, for what purpose? Unto salvation to everyone that believes, both to the Jews and to the Greeks. So God was doing it through Jesus Christ and teaching the truth. He does it through the apostles. If you know Christ as your Savior, he did it to you by drawing you through the word of God as you learned it. He knows who the sheep are. They belong to him. How does he get the message to them? He does it by the word of God, and he's chosen to use the instrumentality of believers to get that accomplished. And let's tell you something else. We don't know who the sheep are we have a tremendous responsibility to get them the message. And chew on this one. You don't know, but the people in your high school that you went to high school with are the people that are working next to you, or your neighbors, or some of the people maybe in this auditorium are sheep, but you don't know it yet. But God does. Let me give you a strange one. It won't be for a couple of people, certainly one person here, two people, But when I was in St. Patrick's Grammar School, and when I was in Central Catholic High School, which I graduated from both, I don't know how, but I did. Okay, When when I was in those schools, I was a sheep. I didn't know it. There are some in this auditorium that I went to high school with and elementary school, i.e. my wife. We didn't know we were sheep. But God got the message to us. Oftentimes we forget that. There are people you probably went to high school with, you went to college with, you worked with, you grew up with, and you haven't even seen them for 50 years, and they have come to salvation. You know why? Because they were sheep all along, God knew who they were, and he reached them someplace else. And I charge you with that because you might look at your neighbors and are frustrated with who they are. You might look at people at work and you get frustrated. You might look at relatives and say, I never know whether they're, they're called or whatever. Preach the word. Give them the message. He knows his sheep. He'll call them. But he's chosen to use the instrumentality of the word of God. God is still working, even in the elementary schools, the high schools, the colleges, the workplaces, the neighborhoods, all around the world. Some of these places we would say, no way. That's why people wouldn't sit down with the likes of Matthew or tax collectors, but Jesus Christ did because he knew who the sheep were. And he knew when he'd use the message. What does he call them to? Not two flocks, verse 16, but one flock. One, Jew and Gentile. The middle wall, you had the responsive reading this morning. It's been broken down. This was not a secondary plan. Now this sounded blasphemous. That's why you need to see the context. They were listening to this and saying, are you kidding me? Other people coming into the flock of Israel and now the two of us becoming one? Yes, with Jesus Christ as the head. There is no pastor. There is no minister. There is no elder. There is no priest, rabbi, whatever you want to put that's a leader of God's church. No way. It is Jesus Christ who is the head of the church. Period. And we are members of one body. That's the unity that's there in verse 16. I must, what? Bring them also. They will hear my voice. They definitely will. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. Who's the shepherd? He's speaking to them. It's Jesus Christ. And he makes it very clear. Not only is this not a change of plan, it was all God's plan right from the beginning. He points out in verses 17 and 18 that it specifically fulfills the will of the Father. He says, for this reason, the Father loves me. Now, if you really want to understand that, just look at one passage in John. Go to John chapter 8. We've got several others here, but I'll just go back because this was not too long ago. John chapter 8, verse 29. In verse 29, remember this? He says, And he who sent me, that's God the Father, is with me. He has not left me alone. Why? For I always do the things that please him. Always. You see? And that's what you've got here in verses 17 and 18 of John chapter 10. For this reason the Father loves me. Why? Because I laid down my life. He did it voluntarily. It was not a mistake. People have the debate, did the Romans kill Jesus? Did the Jews kill Jesus? Did the Romans and Jews kill Jesus? Did we kill Jesus even though we weren't there? Listen, it was the predetermined plan of God all along. Jesus Christ laid down his life because it was the only way to pay the penalty of sin. That's why there's only one way. He was the only one who knew no sin who became sin for us. He was the only one that could satisfy the righteousness of the Holy God to restore us back from what got broken in the Garden of Eden. And that is fellowship with God, and how did he do this? By means of obedience, and that's Philippians chapter two, which you know, and I won't turn you there. He didn't hold on to the things of God, but made himself a servant, even unto death, even the death of the cross. Why? So he could bear the penalty and price of our sins. But notice, it was voluntarily. He laid it down. He was always in control. Always in first, everybody knows first. Uh, everybody knows John three sixteen. First John three sixteen points out that this is how we know the love of God that Jesus Christ laid down his life. He willingly did it. nobody took it from him. He repeats that obviously, I lay it down. I lay down my life so that I might notice this verse seventeen, take it again. No one has taken it away from me. No one could take him. He couldn't have been arrested, He couldn't have been crucified unless he laid it down. Now this has in view. The resurrection. How do you know that? Because he says so. So that I might take it again. I lay it down in my own initiative. I have authority, watch this, to lay it down, verse 18. And I have authority to take it up again. Very powerful. It's one thing to lay down your life. Take a step back here for a second and just think. You could turn around and say, well, I could lay down my life voluntarily. You could do that. People have done that with suicide or or a different type of uh, thing where they just laid down their life for somebody else so that they could uh, continue living. But do you know anyone who could lay down their life voluntarily and listen and then voluntarily take it up again? No one meets that qualification except for one. Who's that? Jesus Christ. That's in view. Do you know it is the resurrection that is the demonstration of the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Quick. Romans 1. Romans chapter 1 verse 4. It's the declaration. In Romans 1 it says this. It's speaking of Jesus Christ, by the way. How do I know that? Well, it's Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Verse 1. And he's con- it's concerning his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 3. What about that son? Now verse 4. Who was declared the Son of God, how? With power, by the instrumentality of the resurrection from the dead. According to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. That is what declares him to be the Son of God. That is what identifies him as the Messiah, which is the whole point of what John's trying to teach. And in the midst of this demonstration of the good shepherd, he says... I lay my life down. No one takes it from me. And I take it up again. Why did he raise the third day? Because the scripture said that. Absolutely. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But is that all? No. It's because he's God, very God. And he is the only one who could lay it down and take it up again. he's the only hope. He said that already in John. Go back to John. Just look at John chapter 6. He's going to raise us up as well. People wonder about a resurrection from the dead. It's because of who Jesus Christ is that He can do what He said here. Just quickly look at John chapter 6, verse 39. This is the will of Him who sent me. Who's that? The Father. That of all that He has given me, that's the sheep, I lose how many? Nada. Nothing. No one. But, notice this, raise it up on the last day. Verse 40. But this is the will of my Father that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. That couldn't be any clearer, folks. You don't need to know anything about the original languages. That's clear in English. I raise Him up. Anyone that comes to me and believes that I am the Son of God believes that I'm the Messiah, you believe on me, you have eternal life. What are you saying? What are you saying? Only the Son of God could will to lay down his life and could will to resume it again. And so as he's concluding this passage on the Good Shepherd, that's the whole focal point again. It's to who Jesus Christ is. He says, and here's the identification. I have sheep here, yes, but I want you to know that I have other sheep, that is Gentiles, and I have yet to call them in yet. They're my sheep, but I haven't called them yet, and I'm going to do it how? By the word of God, I have power to lay my life down. I have power to raise it up again. That identifies me as the true Messiah, and that is how you get into the flock of God. That is not because man seeks after God. There is none seeking after God. If you say today, but I'm really looking to, to know the truth, that's because God's already working in your heart. And then through the preaching of the word, when you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, listen, you know this. You've heard this a thousand times from me, some of you. I know. But you're going to die physically. And you know it. What then? There is no second chance. Don't be foolish. It said already, as we read in the Scripture, to the Gentiles, if you were not born a Jew, you are a Gentile. That's who I am. That's who you are. If you don't come through Jesus Christ, you have no hope of eternal life. Period. That's not on my authority. You just read it. You come to the Messiah. You come to the only qualified one. Believe on Him. That's the Gospel. That's why it's powerful. It's able to penetrate and say, yes, I'm a sinner. But we think we can save ourselves. If I'm good enough, if I go to church enough, if I read my Bible, if I memorize Scripture, all of those things are good. But none of it will get you to heaven. None of it will restore a relationship to the Father. The only one that can do that is the one who lays down his life, the one who takes it up again, and his call to the sheep, is the truth of the word of God that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Or in this case, I am the shepherd. I am the door. I am the good shepherd, the one and only good shepherd. And if you come through me, you'll be part of the fold. That's the same person. And they are in an outrage. Look at it in verse 19 to 20 as we close. A division occurred among them. No wonder. Among who? The Jews. There's the context where I said the other sheep are Gentiles. Probably they pretty clear. Why? Because of these words. Many of them were saying, he's got a demon. And why would they say that? Because of what I just demonstrated to you. They're looking and saying, he's the only one. He meets the qualifications for the Messiah. And now he's telling us he's got other sheep that aren't Jews. And he's going to make us one. This guy's insane. That's a hard heart. It's a hard heart that hears the message of salvation and says, no way, there's got to be other ways, there's got to be other religion. You know why? Because it doesn't matter what man's religion concocts. The only thing that counts is what God has designed and the way that God says salvation is. Praise the Lord, some of them, though. There's always a division. This was unthinkable to some, unheard of to many. Absolutely outrageous to the context, but as the division resulted, there were some who were objective enough to look and say, "Hey, wait a minute. He's not talking like an insane person. Insane person. He's not talking like someone who's got a demon and is demon possessed. Not only that, demons don't go around and open the eyes of the blind, do they? No, they don't. By the way, the demons cause problems. They don't open the eyes of the blind. Isn't it amazing?" But the Jewish leaders are outraged, and the common folks, here we are back again to your neighborhood, to your schools, to your workplace, to those that you bump into, and it's those type of people that are the sheep that God's calling to the likes of the gospel. And they were able to objectively look and say, this guy can't be insane, what he says is very sane. Demons don't do those things, even the leaders are out in the left field. The Lord always causes division. He's doing it right in this room. No doubt in my mind, there's some of you that have not yet come to Christ. Some of you, not just necessarily even visiting. I'm talking about people that have been here for years and have heard the gospel over and over and over. You could give the gospel to me, but you haven't come to believe it. You're on the side of these leaders that are saying, this is crazy. There's got to be another way. You're going to go through your life unless you come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to realize that you're wrong. There's only one way and it's through Christ. God's desire is for the sheep to be brought for You to hear. You to hear the message and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to Him. He'll give rest to your souls. Come to Him. He will in no wise cast you out. He'll give you forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. If you're looking to know God, are well, you're looking to know God's plan today. As simple as it was for them, it's simple for you. Come to the true shepherd, the only one good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the door, he's the shepherd, he's the only good shepherd. Why? Because he meets all of the qualifications for the Messiah. He willingly took his life physically and laid it down to satisfy a righteous and a holy God Because he had no sin. And he could be the absolute, proper, and only substitute for the sins of man. Come and trust in him. And let me close with this for believers. you look at a passage like this, you hear a little bit about the sheep and the flock and who Jesus is. Remember, he's not only the good shepherd as far as salvation. Remember what we've learned in this passage? He's a shepherd that loves his sheep. He's a shepherd that calls his sheep. He's a shepherd that cares for his sheep. you realize that? you feel that care? You say, sometimes, Pastor, Dan, I don't feel that care at all. It's not because he's changed. How's your walk with the Lord? How much time are you spending with your shepherd? How much time are you spending in the Word? How much time are you spending praying? How much time are you spending letting Him work in your life? He owns you. How much time do you spend serving Him? You can go out of it, you know,
1: I have no idea what anyone
0: in this room is thinking. And you can go out of here thinking that Pastor Dan's is trying to right now, with believers, round up people to serve in the Lord and, and get involved in this and get involved in that. No, 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 no. It's not true. I'll tell you my heart. As I labor with this congregation, and watch people come week after week, and I know the reality of the Bema seat of Christ. And I know that I have to stand there. And I look out at sheep that are so resistant and going their way, and so filled with the world, and so filled, listen to this, with self. And I am going to do things my way anyway, and nobody's going to show me, let alone an organized church. You're in trouble. That's why my heart goes out. Because if you're a sheep that belongs to the Lord, you are owned. And you're expected by that shepherd to be following him in every area of your life. And he cares for you. And he's using the word so that you'd come alongside of him. Even as a sheep, we so often wander away. My God, help us to stay close to our shepherd, talking to believers. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you for this parable, so powerful as it was to shatter the thinking of these religious leaders, to absolutely create an earthquake in their hearts, a reaction from their souls that was in rebellion against the truth. And Father, we know that any time the truth of the Word of God goes forth, it challenges the unsaved to realize that Jesus Christ is the Messiah to challenge the human nature. But Father, we thank you and praise you that through the Gospel, you're still calling your sheep, you're still in, still calling people to yourself and bringing them into the fold though they've been your sheep all along. And we pray that you'd move among us and if there are any... In this room, they've not come to Christ. They see the reality of the shortness of life, the reality of their sin, and would come to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. For For those of us that know you, Father, have us not just look at this as a, a passage that's just totally centered on the sheep as far as drawing them into the flock, but help us to see that we've got a great shepherd, the shepherd of our souls who not only has called us home, but Father, who cares for us and watches over us and desires to lead us. Lead us in a way that will bring glory to your name and help us to just yield to the Spirit of God and and let you lead. We pray, Father, you'd stir us up and that we'd walk out of here changed, and we'd see the effects even this week as we follow the shepherd of our souls. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.